Coming to you from the kingdom of Marion, this is the Ernest Mann Show, and I'm your host, Ernest Mann. Wherever you may be listening in this world. And this is episode number 121. Think fuel prices are high now? Listen to find out what's coming and why. I'm sure that you probably have heard about the various wranglings now going on with the Saudi family and Biden and the Saudis concerning our quote-unquote relationship with them and how perhaps we need to reevaluate our relationship with the Saudis who of course well produce all our oil or a, a very large part of it now what is important to understand is that in relative terms, sometimes things that can become absolutely uh, cascading, world-changing events can come from something that, by comparison, at the time is I say relatively small. It may be something, at least perhaps initially, something that's shoved under the carpet. Something that's not really, you know, paid attention to. What comes to mind, for instance, was what kicked off what really the event that kicked off the first world war um was the uh the killing and the murdering in serbia and prior to world war one of of the king uh by a, a nationalist and he was murdered and so that set the whole domino effect that occurred in Sarajevo all those many years ago that very quickly <clears throat> escalated to the First World War. So we had a uh, was being murdered by a Serbian nationalist. There are so many countless details concerning that entire event um, that I could literally go on for hours, but I won't because <clears throat> I'm trying to emphasize something else and hopefully I'll be able to piece these things together. So please bear with me. So back in 2000, I believe it was 2000, yes, and 18, 
And it's basically just a little over a year ago on October the 2nd that we had a, a U.S.-based journalist. His name was Jamel Khashoggi. And uh, he was murdered under, well, basically the direction of the Saudi family. So I'll just read this little blurb, because if you're not familiar with this, it's important that I bring you up to speed on this, as it is relevant to, very relevant to what's going on right now. So on October the 2nd, 2018, this is Jabal Khashoggi, U.S.-based journalist and critic of Saudi Arabia's government, walked into the Saudi consulate in Istanbul where he was murdered. And I mean brutally murdered. He was quite literally killed and butchered. And he was cut up into pieces and put into a trunk or something. Yeah. In the months that followed, conflicting narratives emerged over how he died, what happened to his remains, and who was responsible. Saudi officials said the journalist was killed, quote, in a rogue operation, unquote, by a team of agents sent to persuade him to return to the kingdom, while Turkish officials said... The agents acted on orders from the highest levels of the Saudi government. But who was Jamal <coughs> Khashoggi? Well, says as a prominent Saudi journalist, he covered major stories, including the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan and the rise of the late Al-Qaeda leader, Osama bin Laden, for various Saudi news organizations. For decades, the 59-year-old was close to the Saudi royal family and also served as an advisor to the government. But he fell out of favor and went into a self-imposed exile in the U.S. in 2017. From there, he wrote a monthly column in the Washington Post in which he criticized the policies of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman the son of King Solomon and Saudi Arabia's de facto ruler. Now, what does this have to do with the current events at hand, you may be asking? And that's what I'm going to tell you. You see... What this is, is the U.S. interplay dealing ultimately with a basically a, a, an empire, a kingdom, a self-described kingdom, the Saudi family of oil whores who will provide anyone and everyone with oil and it all boils down to where they make the most profit. So there's no ideology in real terms here. 
at all. They're just oil whores. Yep, they're ready for business, ready to copulate with whoever has real money. Which brings me back to previous agreements that were made a long time ago. You see, in order to understand this, we have to understand the whole creation of OPEC. And without going into, once again, a great deal of detail, it was basically created in September. The foundations were created for OPEC in September of 1960. And some changes were made. Various nations dropped out. Some dropped out and stayed out. Some dropped out and returned. But it was originally created in September of 1960. And to the best of what I have, that I have found, the current list of um, member nations is Algeria, Angola, Congo, Equatorial Guiana, Gibbon, Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Libya, Nigeria, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and Venezuela. Those are the current members. There are 13. But bear in mind, like I said, <clears throat> this was originally founded with the original intent, which was from the United States, to put all of this together um, in 1960. And the contrivancy uh, that was built into this to make this thing happen, in other words, basically to give them reassurances that, yes, the primary user of this resource being the United States and in the interest of the United States is going to be, well, we're going to be your number one customers. And what we want in exchange for that guarantee of oil is that you will guarantee that all the oil in future will be sold based in U.S. dollars. And after a bit of wrangling, the long and the short of it is that's what was agreed upon and once that was agreed upon, it had extremely, very dramatic effects around the world. Because if you were a nation, I don't give a damn what nation you were, you ultimately had to deal and bargain for any oil being produced with any OPEC nation in U.S. dollars. 
which did not, as a value marker, did not necessarily have to coincide with your own currency, but as a conversion to a U.S. dollar standard. Well, <clears throat> uh, it just so happens at that time that the U.S. dollar was very solid, and amongst other things, in addition to everything else, relatively speaking, I mean, the economy was doing well. We, we were the shining star because we were still coming off of the post-World War II economic boom. I mean, uh, by comparison of, you know, of today, um, things were great. Things were terrific. And we were on, still on the gold standard. Now, that is the linchpin, because this does tie in to the whole equation. Because that agreement, at least that initial agreement, and like I said, member nations have come, some have come, some have gone, the deck's been reshuffled a little bit, but ultimately, it didn't change, you know, as far as the U.S., the sovereignty of using the agreement to use the U.S. dollar, what's commonly referred to, for instance, as petrodollars. And that all changed in 72, although virtually no one then, as far as the common multitudes of Americans, and to this day, right now, um, that still do not understand this and the ramifications of this. Um, that uh, we went off the gold standard officially from Nixon in 72. And everything has saying that it's dramatically changed as far as that's concerned is quite an understatement. And right now, ever, well, ever since then, we have been operating on fiat currency. And as any decent, honest um, economist will tell you, um, essentially, in real terms, you might as well have an economy that's based on monopoly money. Because the text that's printed on dollar bills or you know, five dollar bills or whatnot, saying stating that you know this <clears throat> this is a legal note, good for all debts, public and private. That's basically saying that well, this has value because we say it does. <laughs> there's 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 nothing actually tied to this. So, <clears throat> what does this have to do with the murdered journalist? This is where I'm going to try to tie this together. You see, way back in, you know, way back, but it's been a few years now. It's amazing how time goes by so quickly, isn't it? Um, yeah, the murder, the brutal murder of this journalist, of this 59-year-old man, he uh, 
who was, by all intents and purposes, he was an excellent journalist. And I'm saying in the American news media, yeah, it was around for a little bit. And like things like this, it uh, kind of quickly faded away. It faded away. I mean, when's the last time you'd heard of this guy? You know what I mean? And so, yeah, that's what happens here in America. Things that they're not really interested in or things that you're not supposed to be interested in. And uh, that was a pretty horrible, terrible, brutal thing to do to a, um American journalist. But it went away. In other words, whoever had it done, and everything would certainly point to the Saudi royals, royal family, because he was he was digging up a lot of dirt and a lot of unpleasant trees, and that's how they deal with things there. And uh, yeah, it was silenced. But now you'll notice all of a sudden. Huge news about now the Saudis have pissed us off concerning cutting oil production and what they can do for American consumers. Well, actually, it's, again, it's half true because in real terms, despite what they tell you, they don't give a rat's ass about the consumer. They care about business. The consumer is last on the list of priorities. This is about companies and the mega profits they can achieve or potentially lose, potentially. And so that's the real truth. But what I'm saying is, is that constant media coverage, all this, you know, this, this hell and damnation um, and then it's showing the really good, the, the high fives. And now Putin's uh, all of a sudden real buddy buddy with the Saudi family. And, and this is huge. This is fucking huge. And I'm trying to tell you, and please listen, I'm trying to tell you what's coming down the pike. And how it's going to affect us. And... Here's what happened. First of all, again, this journalist, we didn't, we, U.S. government, we didn't give a rat's ass. Didn't care. Could care less. Because we're all buddy-buddy with the Saudis. It was, you know, swept under the rug. Nudge-nudge, wink-wink. Until things aren't so cozy with them because now they're threatening things to do with oil. And if my memory serves, and if you're old enough to remember this, the last people that tried to in any way fuck with our supply of oil, let's see, in fairly recent memory, that would have been Saddam Hussein who invaded Kuwait 
to try to possess the oil that America had stolen, I mean, I mean uh, negotiated for legally. And yeah, the Republican Guard, it was a shitstorm. And we very quickly and ferociously, you know, bombed them back to the Stone Age, essentially. And eventually found Saddam literally in a hole in the ground. And so when we have our representatives going to um, Saudi, you know, the princess and whatnot, and we're reminding them very politely, you know, kind of like a fucking mobster does who's talking to you to just remind you of if you were interested, for instance, in continuing to use, to be able to use your legs, um, with the debt that you owe them, that kind of thing. And I'm not kidding. This is what, this is what they do. Of course, this is what they do. Come on. But the difference, there's a huge difference. There is a huge, and this is huge. Mark this, check this, check for yourself. I am telling you, what is coming the difference is is that after all these years <clears throat> the real value of the US dollar is so degraded because we have been using fiat currency for so long that um, you know the arabs have got all of this figured out i mean we're talking about I think if you're a Saudi prince and a Saudi family, you not only have accountants, but you have accountants that you pay millions of dollars a year who are masters with numbers. In other words, we're talking teams of accountants and bean counters on steroids. <laughs> okay. And basically what they're figuring out very rapidly, and it's not just the Saudis. It was that list that I just rattled off of the OPEC uh, nation members that are basically on the same page. And they're finally saying, look, um, yeah, this is at 1960. And the U.S. paper dollar, finally, they're coming around to this, isn't worth, well, it isn't worth certainly what it was in 1960. And they have no real means of backing up anything. And they're a debtor nation and all of these realities. And then comes Putin. And we can have separate talks and discussions about Vladimir Putin, but you, you, at least you have to admire one thing that you do have to admire about the Russians and this, and I've said this before, their cleverness and tenacity that they put up in, you know, the second world war, for instance, they are, also themselves, they are very intelligent and very tenacious. One of the huge differences 
was, is, currently, which is what makes the Saudis so happy and the member nation states so happy, is that Russia has gold. Let just please think about that. <clears throat> it is not the first, but the second. There is a um, a number of keys to the realm, and I call them the top five. And it is a good solid second, let's say, of the keys of the realm. And that's gold. And they have gold. And the member cartel states that are producing the major, um, the members, the 13 members of OPEC, um, they are tired of worthless and deflated. They're, they don't want our damn fiat currency. They want gold. They want real money. They want real security. And we, the proverbial we, cannot give them that for various reasons, which could take at least another hour to explain in another program, which is what I hope you will tune in for. But having said that, um, if the tide turns, and I believe it's going to, uh, against um, the American dollar, and particularly, I'm talking. I'm talking very specifically, particularly um, the currency as far as petrodollars for OPEC for the oil-producing nations. If they all universally decide, because they originally back in 1960 decided and adapted when we were not only very military powerful, but we were extremely fiscally powerful. But, yeah, we have the military, but our ass is broke. In real terms, we're broke, primarily due to theft. Um, theft, waste, and theft. And so, yeah, they're sick of that, and... Um, Basically, who can come up with real security and real money? Gold. And so even on open cameras, when you saw, I mean, when you saw the Saudis, remember I said they're, they're oil whores. I'm not necessarily blaming them for that. I'm just saying that's what they are. That's what I mean. Call it what it is. But you got a guy smiling, embracing, and high-fiving Vladimir Putin. It tells me that the jig is up, and you can't you can't renegotiate um, when you're in a weakened position and you don't have anything to negotiate with. This is the reason why many, many, many years ago, and for you youngins, then if you're not aware of this, 
hell, it was so far back. I I wasn't even around. I was a, a baby, a child. But there were people who warned about this prior to 72. They saw this coming, and they said, this will eventually have dire consequences for the nation. And they talked, and they reasoned, and they begged, and they pleaded, and they did everything. And it was like, nope. Nope. They paid no heed. So, uh, let's see. It's 72, 30, it's 50, like, going on, you know, around 60 years later. Now we're a debtor nation, and our ass is broke. Because if everything that you have, you don't own. If everything you have is just completely artificially there, you know, I don't I don't care if you have a McLaren in your driveway or a Ferrari or whatever the hell it is. It's like, yeah, that's that's pretty car. It's all impressive. But who owns it? Who actually owns it? Oh, you're you're mortgaged up up to your eyeballs and you're making, I don't know, three thousand dollar a month payments on it or what you don't own it. You don't own shit. What matters in the end the at the end of the game, what matters is what you own. And we as a people, just like, you know, essentially, we don't own our homes, we don't own our cars. Unless you drive a maybe a really old car, but we there's so much that we don't own, and it's the same thing as far as the government. And um, the rest of the world's gotten wise, and you know, in other words, <clears throat> for a very, very, very long time, I'm saying. Not certainly not equally, not all Americans, certainly not. But I'm talking about the 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 at least the upper middle class and on up. They've been having a fantastic party. I mean, fantastic food and just everything, just all the goodies. But even for them, even for these big wigs, the bill has come due. And they're shocked. And then they want to go into the same old program of it's either one or two things or a combination thereof of higher taxes, printing more fiat currency, or a combination of both. And Christ, with the economy as it is, right? The non, <laughs> what I'm calling the non economy as it is right now. As hard as things are right now. And then you want to add a, yet another burden to that? Shit. One can only imagine how popular that's going to be. Hello again. And thanks for listening. By all means, please do leave a comment because not only do I want to know what you thought about this episode, but so does the rest of the world. 
And here, your opinion really matters. Until next time, I am Ernest Mann, and I am out of here.